Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie, and this is the Italian American Stories Podcast. Today's story is about Vincenzo Formica. He was an Italian American who was tragically killed on the streets of Decatur, Alabama in 1912. This episode is kind of a part two, or maybe more like a continuation of last week's episode, because last week we talked about Vincenzo's son, Concetto Formica, and his tragic story. So just a quick recap of last week's episode. Conchetta was working for a carnival company when he and a fellow co-worker Giuseppe got into an argument that turned physical, and Conchetto ended up losing his life when Giuseppe hit him over the head with a tent stake, but Conchetto kind of kept existing after his death because a local undertaker mummified his body and never buried him, and then put him on display for 61 years in the funeral home. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure to go back and listen. But let's dive into Vincenzo's story. In last week's episode, I talked about how I thought it was strange that Vincenzo never went back to the funeral home to claim his son's body and to ensure that Conchetto was buried properly. So I started looking into what happened to Vincenzo. Vincenzo never went back for his son's body because less than a year after his son was killed, Vincenzo was found dead on the streets of Decatur, Alabama. And just like his son, he died due to a blow to the head. So let's start at the beginning with Vincenzo. Vincenzo was born in Sartino, Sicily around 1863. He married a Pasquale Castelli and they had at least one son together and that was Concetto. Vincenzo, he came to America in November of 1909 and I'm pretty sure that it was just him and I think his wife stayed in Italy because I couldn't find any records of her living in America. And I actually did end up finding an article where reporters stated that Vincenzo had a wife and children in Italy. So that kind of makes sense. But Concetto, his Vincenzo's son, he was already in America. He came in 1907. So Vincenzo joined his son in New York and he ended up joining the New York Guard Services, just like Concetto did. And they were actually in the same unit. They were both in the 22nd Engineers and they were both in the Guard Band. Then after their service with the New York Guard Services, they both ended up working for carnival companies. And in March of 1912, Vincenzo was a musician, just like Concetto was with the company he traveled with. But Vincenzo was working for the St. Louis Amusement Company, and the carnival had just set up in Decatur, Alabama in early March of 1912. And the local newspaper was putting out advertisements, trying to get people excited for the carnival. The ads described the carnival as featuring things like a two-headed lady, a large Ferris wheel, and the great Italian marching band, which Vincenzo was a part of. But unfortunately, Vincenzo never got to work in the carnival because on Sunday, March 10th, 1912, at 10 o'clock at night, a Pearl Taylor found the dead body of Vincenzo on the sidewalk. She was walking home and she saw him laying there. And when she approached him, she immediately knew that he was deceased. So she called the police and informed them of the body. Once the police arrived at the scene and examined the body, they determined that robbery was most likely the motive. Even the undertaker agreed with this because he said when he examined the body of Vincenzo, he didn't find any money or a watch, so he agreed that robbery was probably the motive. The police also noted that Vincenzo was obviously hit in the back of the head by a large object, and they could tell that there wasn't any sort of struggle that happened, but they also believed that the murder had happened within the hour because Vincenzo's body was still warm. So I want to quickly go back to the idea of robbery being the motive for Vincenzo being killed. Because when the police talked to some of Vincenzo's co-workers about the murder, his co-workers said that he probably had a lot of money on him because he had been saving up his money for quite a while. So let's rewind to last week real quick. When Vincenzo's son, Concetto, died, Vincenzo didn't have the money to pay for the funeral costs. 
He could only pay for half of the bill, and he told The Undertaker that he would be back to pay for the rest when he had the money. So, obviously, Vincenzo never went back, but if I had to guess, I would bet that Vincenzo was saving up his money to go back to North Carolina to pay The Undertaker so that he could have his, so that he could ensure his son's body was buried properly. Another interesting point about these comments is his coworkers knew he was saving money and even said that they were pretty sure he had the money on him. So I bet the police were looking at this as maybe a motive for his coworkers to be involved. The police also speculated that whoever killed Vincenzo knew he had a lot of money and possibly tricked Vincenzo to the spot where he was killed so that they could rob him. The police reported that because the body was found at night, they couldn't do much, but they were sure that they would have an arrest within the week and they could solve this uh, murder pretty easily. And honestly, they weren't kidding because the next day they arrested a local farmer named Arthur Boyd. And he lived, he didn't live in Decatur, but he lived in a town nearby. And apparently they initially arrested Boyd because it was reported that he had a concealed pistol on him. And I don't know how this was reported. I don't know if somebody saw it and reported it to the police or if the police officers maybe saw uh, Boyd with a pistol. But once they did arrest him, they actually found that he had two pistols on him and a lot of money. So obviously this was pretty suspicious in the police officer's eyes because like we just talked about, Vincenzo was known to carry a lot of money on him. But Boyd insisted that the money was his and he earned the money by selling crops from his farm. The police then had the owner of the carnival come in to see if he could identify Boyd and the two pistols. They suspected that one of the pistols may have belonged to Vincenzo. But the carnival owner, he didn't recognize Boyd or the pistols. And even though Boyd was not identified by the carnival owner, he did remain in jail due to charges of, a con- of carrying a concealed pistol. The next day, Boyd was interrogated by the police regarding the murder of Vincenzo. The investigator, he ultimately believed that Boyd had nothing to do with the murder and Boyd was released and all the charges were dropped. But a few days later, the police made some more arrests. On March 12th, due to an anonymous tip, the police arrested five more people. They were Mary Smith, Josie Jordan, Pearl Taylor, Emily Taylor, and Jim Bibb. Now, Pearl Taylor, she was actually the woman who found the body and called the police. I don't know what the anonymous tip was. I couldn't find anything on that. But regardless, these five were arrested and the police hoped that they could gain more substantial evidence or witness statements by interrogating them. Apparently, though, they didn't get very far because the five were released on March 18th and all charges were dropped. And then that same day, two new suspects were arrested, a Don Alfonso and a JT Hicks. Don and JT were actually performers with the same carnival company as Vincenzo. And apparently the police received another tip that these two guys were involved in the murder. There were no details again on what this tip was, but they were arrested because of it. Once the two men were interrogated by the investigators, they determined that Hicks had actually threatened the life of Vincenzo before on account of Hicks' wife. So I don't know the details surrounding this, but it's kind of interesting. Maybe Vincenzo hit on his wife and Hicks didn't like that, or maybe there was an affair. I don't know. The police claimed they had further evidence because they had a lot of witness statements saying that the two men were seen with Vincenzo shortly before he was murdered. The police did search Don and JT's homes, but they didn't recover anything substantial from the search. And both men denied that they were guilty of this murder and insisted that they had nothing to do with it. The preliminary hearings and the trial itself were postponed multiple times due to attorneys and solicitors not being able to be at the hearings. And the case, it actually never ended up going to trial, because on March 24th, 1912, 
Don and JT were released from jail and all murder charges were dropped as well. So I guess what happened was the two men's stories were not lining up with the actual details of the murder and their stories in general were pretty conflicting. It was also reported that there was just not sufficient evidence enough to hold the two men. So Don and JT actually returned to work with the carnival and the murder of Vincenzo was never solved. I searched everywhere online and couldn't find any more details on whether or not anyone else was arrested. And if I had to guess, I would say the authorities just dropped the case and it went cold. One thing that I wondered was who paid for Vincenzo to be buried? Because he didn't have any family in America. His only family that I know of was Conchetto, and he died a year before his father. And they didn't even have enough money to bury him. But when I looked into it, Vincenzo, he was buried. He was buried in the Decatur City Cemetery. So I don't know if maybe the city stepped in or the state or even the funeral home. Maybe there was some type of a fund for people who didn't have any money, but he is buried. Um, So at least he didn't get mummified like his son and put on display. Thank goodness. So at least that undertaker buried Vincenzo. And that is the story of Vincenzo Formica. So because Vincenzo Formica's story was not as detailed and as long as I wanted it to be, I would like to add in a little extra. I want to read you an article that I found from the Denver Post from 1905. And this was one of the articles that inspired me originally to do this podcast. But unfortunately, I had so much trouble finding information on this family. So this article is about a little girl named Lorena Demencio who saves her siblings, but unfortunately she ends up dying as a result of that. So I really wanted to do a episode on the Demencio family and especially Lorena because she's a hero in this situation. But like I said, I, I searched everywhere and I was, I was so bummed that I couldn't find a lot of information on them. I, I am going to keep looking though, because there's got to be something out there. The article gives the names of the father, the uncle, the siblings. So there's a lot of information in there. I think I just need to dig a little bit further. But until then, I want to share this article because I feel like Lorena's story needs to be told. And it's not her whole story, but it is the ending of her life. And my opinion, she was a hero. The bravery that this little girl shows I think is a testament to how strong Italian-Americans are and the importance of family to Italian-Americans. But anyways, here is Lorena's article. The headline reads, Death Comes to Child Heroine. Little Lorena Demencio Expires in Agony. After a week of agony, death yesterday claimed Lorena Demencio, the nine-year-old girl who offered her own life in a fruitless attempt to save her three small sisters from being burned to death. This is the fourth child Sabatine Demencio and his wife have lost by fire within a week. Albino, Cristina, and Orazio Demencio, aged eight, six, and two years, respectively last Monday, accidentally ignited their clothing while playing about the stove in the kitchen and were burned to but a heap of ashes before help arrived. In her efforts to rescue the children, Lorena was badly burned and might have perished with them but for the arrival of her uncle, Jacob Demencio who snatched her out of the burning house and smothered the fire, consuming her clothing. So, as you can tell, Lorena was an extremely brave little girl, and her family was everything to her. She went back into the burning home to save her siblings, 
And because of that, she did lose her life. But this is one of the reasons why I want to do this podcast. I want to tell these stories of Italian Americans that are not necessarily famous, not well known, or maybe their story would never get told. And I want to make sure that their story, their situation, whatever it is, gets out to other Italian Americans and we can celebrate how amazing Italian Americans are. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to the story of Vincenzo Formica and Lorena Demencio, and I hope you come back to listen to more stories about Italian Americans. See you next time. <laughs>